Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On About Books, we delve into the latest news about the publishing industry with interesting insider interviews with publishing industry experts. We'll also give you updates on current nonfiction authors and books, the latest book reviews, and we'll talk about the current nonfiction books featured on C-SPAN's Book TV. And welcome to the About Books program and podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking with best-selling author Brad Meltzer. But first, let's start with some recent publishing news. Former Attorney General William Barr's memoir about his time in the Trump administration will be released next week. Several news sources have cited passages from the book already. According to the New York Times, Mr. Barr asserts that the Republican Party should support another candidate in 2024, saying, quote, Donald Trump has shown he has neither the temperament nor persuasive powers to provide the kind of positive leadership that is needed. In regard to the last contested election, the former attorney general writes, quote, the election was not stolen, Trump lost it. Also in the news, the Los Angeles Times has announced the finalists for their 42nd annual book prizes and this year's Lifetime Achievement Award will be presented to author Luis Rodriguez. According to the Los Angeles Times book editor, Mr. Rodriguez wrote his way out of poverty and pain through poetry, memoir, essays, fiction, and journalism. Over the decades, he has used his craft to advocate for youth lost to gang life, to promote peace in our communities, and to bring people together in this chaotic world. The Lifetime Achievement Award for Mr. Rodriguez will be presented on April 22nd. Well, it was in 2014 that Book TV traveled to Los Angeles to interview him. Here's a portion of that interview. Why did I become a writer? It's like, I love to read. And one of my saving graces is I loved books. When nobody else in the neighborhood loved books. When really nobody in my family loved books. I was the only one that loved books. And I used to carry books to the neighborhood. I used to, when I was homeless, I would go to the downtown library and spend hours reading books. So somehow I had this dream, maybe I could write one. It was like an image that would stay with me barely for a second and then vanish. I remember one time I was in the downtown library and I was looking at all the spines of the books. And there, of course, there was no Rodriguez's, there were no Spanish surnames. But I had a little image of a book with my name, Luis Rodriguez, and then it went away. It was my destiny calling me. I didn't know it. I was being called, and I didn't know that that was going to be my destiny. And as always, the full interview with 
Luis Rodriguez is available to watch online at booktv.org. In more award news, the New York Historical Society's annual book prize has been given to Alan Taylor. His book, American Republics, A Continental History of the United States, 1783 to 1850. Mr. Taylor is a history professor at the University of Virginia and a two-time recipient of the Pulitzer Prize for History. Now, according to NPD BookScan, print book sales rose for a second consecutive week, up over 4% for the week ending February 19th. However, book sales are still down about 4% for this year compared to last year. And joining us now on About Books is best-selling author Brad Meltzer. His newest book just out is called The Lightning Rod. Mr. Meltzer, I don't know if you've recognized this or not, but the more books you sell, the bigger your name gets on the book jacket. Uh, my friends have no hesitation about pointing that out to me. They took my first book where my name was like tiny, tiny um, and they're like, oh, Mr. Big Shot thinks his name is important. And I, I literally asked my publisher, can you make my name smaller? And they're like, you're the only author to ever ask. Why? And I said, because my friends won't stop giving me grief. So the lightning rod, who are Zig and Nola? Who are the characters in this book? Yeah, so I do a lot of work with the USO. And I've traveled to Kuwait and Oman and Qatar and all these incredible places because they bring thriller writers they used to bring them every year to entertain the troops. And I love doing it. And it was there I heard about Dover Air Force Base. And we all know Dover, even if you don't know the name, it's where when our troops have been killed in Afghanistan or Iraq, you see those American flag draped coffins come back off the planes and everyone's saluting. And the people who take care of those bodies when they come back, the morticians there, they see everything. So when the flights from the space shuttle explosion, the astronauts' bodies came to Dover. When 9-11, the Pentagon victims, those bodies came to Dover. In fact, our CIA spies all across the globe, our 007s, when they die, their bodies go to Dover too. It means Dover is a place that's filled with secrets. And I was like, I want to know about it there. And the, and the morticians who work on the bodies will spend 12 hours rewiring someone's jaw, smoothing it over with clay because they want to, uh, someone wants to see their son one last time or rebuilding someone's hand because a mother says she wants to hold her son's hand one last time. So Zig is one of these morticians. He's one of the best of the best of us working on the best of the best of us. And that's the main character, one of the main characters of the lightning rod. The other is Nola Brown, who, and this is also based in reality, even though it's the book is fiction. Since World War II, this is true. The U.S. Army has had a painter on staff to paint disasters as they happen. So whether it's storming the beaches of Normandy, whether it's 9-11, they're always there. And I said, you're telling me everyone else is racing in with guns blazing and you've got someone racing in with paintbrushes in their pockets? I want to meet that guy. He sounds crazy. I got to meet him. And they said, her, you want to meet her. And right there, Nola Brown was born. So Nola and Zig are the main characters. Uh, they each are based in these real amazing worlds that I love. And this book asks the question, what's your best secret that no one knows about you? And Nola is the lightning rod. Trouble follows her. So she's the one we're going to focus on for this one. And this is the second book in this series, the Zig and Nola series, correct? Yeah, you don't have to read the first one. They go and you can read them in any order. I had someone yesterday who said, I never read the first one. I love this one. Um, and I'll tell you, it, they always are based on kind of something that's bothering me in the, in the current time. In this case, it's one of my great fears. And it's handing your keys over to a parking valet. In the opening chapter, that's exactly what the character does, hands his keys over to the valet. The valet 
instead of parking the car, takes the car, instead of going to the parking lot, hits the GPS button, says the words, go home. And now he's driving to the man's house with his car keys and with his house keys. This is a robbery. But as the valet breaks into the man's house, there's someone waiting there with a gun. This isn't a robbery. It's a trap. And when the body goes to Dover Air Force Base, when bodies turn up, he sees that it leads to one of the government's most closely guarded secrets. That's what was being stolen. And I just ruined chapter one of The Lightning Rod, but that's where it begins. Well, Brad Meltzer, you've written several political thrillers. It, the stories are fictitious, but what's the research, the true research that goes into something like this? Yeah, you know, I've done the secret tunnels below the White House. I've done the catacombs below the Capitol. I've done the hidden city below Disney World in Orlando. And I always will find something that just makes me go, I need to know about that. And for the lightning rod, it was no different. I found out that the government has a dozen secret warehouses hidden all across the country. It's called the Strategic National Stockpile that is there to hold all the antidotes for bioterrorism attacks, whether it's Zika, whether it's smallpox, whether it's hantavirus, um, whatever it might be, they're ready. So in your city, wherever you are, whether you're in New York, whether you're in the Pacific Northwest or in Texas, there's a warehouse nearby, and within four hours, if there's a bioterrorist attack, within four hours, they'll have the antidotes. They even have cobra venom, whatever that does. And I said, you're telling me the government has all these secret warehouses and we can't know what's inside? I want to go inside. So what you see when you get to the end of the lightning rod in those final chapters, I didn't make it up. It's all fiction. It's a thriller. But what you see in that warehouse is exactly what is there. What's the level of cooperation you get from government sources? You know, I've been pretty lucky. I had, a, um, I had President Clinton and President Bush write me letters saying they like my books. It's helpful when the president will vouch for you. The Secret Service has helped me for over 20 years now. And why? Because I, I will keep their secrets. That's what the title is, the Secret Service. They'll tell me, hey, listen, we're going to tell you something. You can't write about it. But you need to understand it so you can write about this. And for 20 years now, I'm a man of my word. Um, I was working recent uh, for this book. I went to someone in the government who's in a big acronym agency used to be there. And I said, how do you communicate? How, Peter, would you and I communicate if we didn't want the government to watch us? And they explained it to me this way. They said, Brad, get a Hotmail account. I want you to write an email to Peter, but don't hit send. Just hit save draft. Keep it in the save drafts file. Now give your login to Peter. Peter's going to log into your account. He's going to hit the save draft, read what you wrote him. And he's going to write a new draft to you and hit save draft. Because we all know if you hit send, all the encryption can be broken. WhatsApp can be broken. Everything can be read once you hit send. Now you and I are communicating. We've never sent a sing th single thing in cyberspace. It's a great idea until General Petraeus, the head of the CIA, used that exact trick that's in my book to cheat on his wife. And I called my friend. I was like, wait, I need something better. So what he gave me, you'll see in the lightning rod. I won't ruin that one. But you'll see is, is again, based in reality. And the government, you know, I think has been really kind to me over the years because I never sacrificed security. Any building I go into, even when you go into these warehouses, I change the security. But I think um, they always appreciate that what they tell me I can write, I will write. And what I don't, you won't see. Well, Mr. Meltzer, you've gone from thrillers to nonfiction to a children's series. What is your children's series? Yeah, so we do children's adult. books too. Um, I was tired of my kids, the garbage that's being fed to them every day on the internet. When they flip on Instagram, when they're scrolling through, they're just being fed garbage. And I said, I want to give them better heroes to look up to, heroes of kindness and compassion, of perseverance. 
So we started with I'm Abraham Lincoln and I'm Amelia Earhart. We did I am Rosa Parks. I am Albert Einstein. My son loves sports. I said, you want to see what a real athlete looks like? Not a millionaire athlete, but a real hero looks like? Meet I am Jackie Robinson. And an amazing thing happened, Peter, is as the 2016 election approached, two of our books, Hillary and Donald Trump are arguing every day on TV, and two of our books started selling more than any others. And they were I am Martin Luther King Jr. and I am George Washington. And it wasn't a Democrat or Republican thing. It was that parents and grandparents on both sides were tired of turning on the TV and seeing politicians, but they wanted to show their kids were leaders. And we all know there's a huge difference between a politician and a leader. And in fact, glad I even brought them. The two newest ones I have right here. I am Muhammad Ali and I am Malala. And the illustrations are by Chris Eliopoulos. We always draw them as kids because we want to remind kids these aren't the stories of famous people. This is what we're all capable of on our very best days. What's a technique for writing a children's book as opposed to a thriller? Kill less people. That's one rule. That's one. Um, but the truth is, I don't treat it very differently. To me, a good story is a good story. If I'm doing a fictional thriller, or I'm doing a non-fiction adult book, or I'm doing I Am Muhammad Ali for the kids, um, a good story has to be a good story. And, and you know, I think it's like the Supreme Court definition of pornography, which is you know it when you see it. When you find that detail of Muhammad Ali as a, you know, right after he wins his gold medal in the Olympics, goes back to his hometown with the gold medal where they'll never serve him in the local restaurant. And he now has the gold medal that he wears into the diner and says, I'm ready to be served. I just want a, a cheeseburger and I want a milkshake. And they look at him with the gold medal on him. And, he, and they say, we're still not serving you. And he realized, takes that gold medal off and says, you know, this is worthless unless we can all eat together and be united. That's an amazing story for adults. That's an amazing story for kids. So to me, you may use language that's a little different to make it a little easier to digest, but you got to just find the, the great story. So in your children's series, I Am Muhammad Ali and your newest thriller, The Lightning Rod, what's the time lapse between idea conception and publishing date? Yeah, listen, a thriller is 400 pages starting with a blank page and I have to come up with all of it, all right? That is just so daunting. It takes me two plus years. In fact, this one is, is almost four years. It's about two and a half years with COVID, slowed me down a little bit, but two years from the beginning to end. Whereas I, Muhammad Ali, or one of the kids' books will take me a month because it's only 40 pages and it's for kids. Um, obviously, each of them is rewarding in their own way. One is arming kids with these lessons of, of perseverance and and of these values that have been lost. Muhammad Ali is all about teaching kids you need to fight for what you believe. But there's nothing like building a thriller. It's like the house you build with your own hands. You just have a blank page, you write chapter one, and there's nothing there. And it's so much harder. I'm been, I've been at this 25 years. And I, I can build the boat while I'm sailing the boat. I'm, I hope I'm better at it. But it is still hard every single day but to me, it's what I love because it's like putting together a puzzle over two years with murder and twists and turns and you're turning the pages and you don't know what's going to happen and the lightning rod's going to leave you going, oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. That's a really fun day for me. Now, when it comes to your thrillers, though, you have a couple of self-imposed rules, correct? Uh, 
I'm, well, you sound like you know exactly which rule. I have a couple of them. Which one are you thinking about? Well, I'm thinking about the language and any R-rated type scene. Yes, that is a that is one of my. There are a lot of rules these days. Um, you know, it's funny. I one someone wrote to me in my very first book, 25 years ago. I dropped some curse word in there, just whatever, in dialogue somewhere for some bad guy mentioning. And this woman wrote to me and said, "I'll never forget." Stranger wrote to me through the website and said. Dear Brad, um, you know, I'm some like 80 years old grandmother and I want to give your books to my grandchild, but I can't if you have swear words. So can you write the next one without any swear words? And I thought about that woman. I still think about her 25 years later. Um, and I try to keep true to that rule. I mean, I, I can't promise all the time because sometimes it calls for it, but I really tried it. I think of those people who are out there who are experiencing the world and want to share these stories. I love getting letters from people who are like, I'm in my bed getting chemo. And thanks to your book, I had some peace. I think about those people when I write. And I even think about every single day, one of my rules for sitting down to write is I think about the 24 rejection letters I got on my first book. I literally replay the moment in my head when I got that call from my agent saying, sorry, kiddo, it's not going to work. And I repicture the moment. I picture the phone I was holding. It was one of those clear see-through ones where you could see the wires inside because it was high tech back then. I picture the desk on my left, the bed on my right, the fire station that's across the street from the balcony I'm looking at. And I say those words, Peter, to myself, sorry, kiddo, because I never, ever want to not be thankful for what I have. I never want to think I made it. I never want to be anything but as hungry as I was when I was 24 years old, starting for 25 years now. Sorry, kiddo. Sorry, kiddo. Sorry, kiddo. It's the first thing I do every day. I sit down the right. Brad Meltzer, we have talked with thriller writer Brad Thor as well, and in his continuous character, Scott, he says, yeah, there's a little bit of him in there. Is there a little bit of Brad Meltzer in any of your characters? For Zig and Nola, absolutely, and, and Brad's a dear friend of mine, so, you know, I know we hide in each other's, uh, in, our, in our characters. You know, Zig believes, as someone who works at Dover Air Force Base, that with some kindness and generosity, you can make the world a better place. It's almost a naive belief, but it's an idea worth fighting for. That is absolutely my core belief, that you can do that. Nola, the other hero of the book, believes if you want the world to work the way you want, then you grab it by the throat and you force it to, because you can't stand around and be walked all over. And that's also an absolutely true idea. And I think what you see in the two of them is there, it's my core beliefs fighting for supremacy there. I don't know what the right answer is. And it takes in a strange way, both of them to make the world work. So absolutely, every single day that I sit down to write these characters, it's a part of me talking to another part of me and just trying to figure out, it's, it's my own personal therapy for it. If you taught writing, or maybe you do, what are two rules that you would try to give to your students or two ideas? Oh yeah, so one of them uh, I firmly believe is don't let anyone tell you no. I got 24 rejection letters on my first book. 24 people told me to give it up. There were only 20 publishers at the time. I got 24 rejection letters, which means people were writing me twice. But um, don't let anyone stop you. You know, writing a book is like building a sandcastle, a grain of sand at a time. And the first day, if you write one page, you put down that grain of sand, you have nothing. Second day, second grain of sand, you have nothing. But after a year, if you write a page a day, you will have your little sandcastle. It's just you got to keep going. So don't let anyone stop you. Don't let anyone tell you no. That's rule number one. And rule number two is everyone always worries about the plot. They always say, I got to get a good plot. The single best plot is a great character. 
when I was working on the lightning rod and the escape artist, uh, you know, coming up with Zig and Nola, I, I knew what the opening scene was, but I was like, do not start this book until you have Nola. Don't start until you have it. It took me an extra six months, but the fact that, you know, we just had Lee Child, the creator of Reacher saying that Nola is one of the best created new characters in modern fiction. I, I mean, I was blown away, but it took me six months to work that character. And if you work that character correctly, you will have a great plot. Think of Harry Potter or think of Dumbledore, think of Scout and Atticus. If you love the character, you'll follow them anywhere. So to me, the other rule is you want a great plot, start with a great character. Well, let's go back to your children's series, Ordinary People Change the World, Mr. Meltzer. You had a brush with banning, didn't you? We did. This was unbelievable. Um, so a little bit ago, we found out that our books, I Am Rosa Parks and I Am Martin Luther King Jr. have been banned in York County, Pennsylvania. And it had nothing to do with the content of our books. There were about uh, 200 books that a diversity committee had put together for books to talk to kids about race. And the school board there uh, said, hey, we want to read these books first before we um, can okay them for kids, which to me is a good idea. You don't just want to give kids books without knowing what's in them. And what happened was, and this was the trick the school board did, is a year went by and they still didn't clear the books. So effectively, it became a freeze on the books. Teachers didn't know whether they could use them. Librarians didn't use them. It became this ban. And I found out about it. I immediately went on my Twitter and Facebook and Instagram accounts, told everyone, listen, here's the full list of books. I said, I want you to buy every book on the list, not just our books, not just Rosa Parks and Dr. King, but every book on this list, books by Malala, books by Sesame Street, how to talk to your kids about race. I mean, these were very obvious, easy books. And what happened was, is I went on Fox News, I went on CNN, I went on MSNBC. When those three agree, you know you went too far. They blew it, right? They picked on Dr. King and they picked on Rosa Parks. And I went to the school board meeting where they had a big hearing on it. And I read from I Am Rosa Parks. And I read one of my favorite lines in there. It says, you know, I'm not a, a big politician or a famous business person. I'm just an ordinary person. And I'm also proof there's no such thing as an ordinary person. And it says, I am Rosa Parks, and I hope you will stand up for others. And I said, this is what you're denying kids. And I thought I'd save the day. I thought I made the impassioned speech. And after I speak, Peter, all of the students from the school board, from the school district started speaking. The impassioned mothers, who was a member of the military, said, I'm so embarrassed of what you're doing to our school district. I used to go here. And by the time they were done, the ban was lifted, thankfully. But as you're seeing right now, it's just getting started. And over and over, you'll see this. Um, I look back, because now it's, we're a little bit behind it. I said, why does this happen so much now? And if you look back through history, one of the first books that historians agree that in America that we banned, that people banned on a national level, was Harriet Beecher Stowe's Uncle Tom's Cabin. And why did they ban it? because they didn't like that it talked about abolitionism. If they didn't like that it brought you, made kids talk about, made people talk about slavery. They didn't like that it threatened in the South their way of life. And that's what you're seeing right now. When you see a book ban, whether it's from, you know, Harriet Beecher Stowe in Civil War times, or whether it's, you know, Alice in Wonderland or Huck Finn, whenever you see someone banning books, it's a, someone whose th their power is threatened and they're terrified that their lifestyle is going to be taken away. And that's all you're seeing now. It's cowardice. And if you're cheering while people are pulling books from the library, you're on the wrong side of history. Well, Mr. Meltzer, is it a case of political correctness? Is it a case of a 
more sophisticated society that this is happening? What's the what's the answer here? Yeah, you know, I think, listen, I think part of it is just um, the segmentation that we're seeing in society today. You know, half the country, whatever side you're on, is only getting one side of actually what's happening. So if, you know, you know they're saying those words, they're going to indoctrinate your children if you don't act now. And that word indoctrination has been used throughout history to scare people. It's a fear tactic. They used it when they went after the Jews. They used it when they went after the black community. They used it when they went after the gay community. Everything they're going to indoctrinate you. But if you and people you want to indoctrinate your children, of course not. But if you say to people, hey, listen, we would like to have a discussion about race, the experience, the black and white experience in a way that's sensitive to that age group so that hopefully we can get along better as a culture. Would you like that? 90% of people say, of course, I want that. But the problem is, is our, you know, the media and, and what we're seeing on social media is you're wiping out the other half of people who agree with you, who disagree with you. You're only here in your own echo chamber. And I think it's also a course correction. Anytime there are new ideas, there's a group and part of society that is terrified of them. And you know why that group will never win? Because nothing can stop an idea. It's the most powerful thing in the world, an idea. And so I think what you're seeing now is obviously since Black Lives Matter, since George Floyd, since all of these things have come up, you see a pushback where people are going, oh, no, that's too much for me. And we forget that even when Dr. King gave the I Have a Dream speech, everyone's like, oh, Dr. King's our hero. Isn't he the best? I'm so glad he gave the I Have a Dream speech. I'm so glad they had that march on Washington. The majority of Americans at the time were against that speech. They were against that march ever taking place. Go look at the people that were in favor of it. It was a small group of Americans. Um, but again, nothing stops an idea. BradMelcher.com is the website if you would like to see his entire collection of work. Mr. Meltzer, thank you for being our guest on About Books. Thank you, Ms. Slynn. I always appreciate it. Always good to be back. And you're watching and listening to About Books. This is Book TV's look at publishing news and some of the latest nonfiction books. And here are some of the latest nonfiction books just being published. Former Attorney General William Barr reflects on his time in the Trump administration, his memoir, One Damn Thing After Another. There's a new book out called Sandy Hook. New York Times feature writer Elizabeth Williamson reports on the years following the 2012 Sandy Hook school shooting. She looks at the parents of the victims who had to defend themselves against conspiracy theories. And University of California Irvine professor Richard Hassan offers his thoughts on how to combat disinformation while preserving the First Amendment, his new book, Cheap Speech. And also being published this week, Monica Guzman's book, I Never Thought of It That Way. She provides her thoughts on how to bridge the partisan divide and promote productive political conversations. And Jeffrey Frank looks at the full tenure of America's 33rd president in the trials of Harry S. Truman. Well, this week on our author call-in program, In-Depth, we're joined by author and journalist Sam Quinones. He writes about immigration issues as well as drug epidemic issues here in the United States. It was in 2015 that we first sat down with Mr. Quinones. Here's a portion. I have to tell you, I was probably more shocked by what I was finding in some of the wealthiest suburbs of America, too. I mean, these are people who, who have done the best they, 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 in the last 15, 20 years of the economic run-ups that we've had since like the mid-90s, let's say, 
they have done so, so well. You know, they're, they have everything they need. They have every house, every gadget, every car, every, all this. They have everything they need, and yet their kids are getting addicted in mass numbers. That's really where the, 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 the problem shifted after it went through Appalachia. It went to the wealthy suburbs. All their kids, the kids who benefited most from our run-up of the last 15, 20 years, are getting addicted to drugs used, of all things, to, to numb pain. What, one cop was driving me around one of these areas near Charlotte, and he says, you know, what pain? Where's the pain? Well, you know, there is pain. There's the pain of, of people who have not really, you know, been able to, uh, uh, f- I guess, feel happiness in some way, achieve the happiness that they thought was coming with, with enough stuff. And that was Sam Quinones, our guest on this weekend's viewer call-in program, In-Depth. And of course, as always, if you've missed any of the program, you can watch it all online at booktv.org. Finally, here's a look at some of the best-selling nonfiction books, according to Powell's Bookstore in Portland, Oregon. Topping the list is Tracy Kidder's 2003 Mountains Beyond Mountains. It's a profile of the late physician and anthropologist Dr. Paul Farmer, who treated the world's poor. Dr. Farmer died last month at the age of 62. After that is Braiding Sweetgrass, Robin Wall Kimmerer's thoughts on how we should work with rather than shape the land we live on. Then it's the late author and activist Bell Hook's reflections on love and compassion, all about love. This book was first published in 1999. And that's followed by The Sirens of Mars. Georgetown University professor Sarah Stewart-Johnson looks at the search for life on Mars. And wrapping up our look at Powell's book's best-selling nonfiction books is Art Spiegelman's Pulitzer Prize-winning graphic novel on the Holocaust, Mouse. This book was recently banned from the eighth-grade curriculum of a Tennessee school district. And that's a look at this week's publishing news and the latest nonfiction books. Reminder that About Books is available as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or on C-SPAN's app, C-SPAN Now.